We're going through the, some of the questions that uh, Jesus asked and still asks. And the convenient thing about these questions is that the ones we're going through, we don't even have to rephrase. We don't even have to find the, the metaphorical uh, adaptation um, of, of his over 150 questions that he asked. Um, we've, we've just picked a few. Uh, actually, by the time that uh, we're done with this lesson, we'll have looked at more than uh, the eight or nine that, that our sermons are, are structured over. We actually have, uh, within each sermon, we're going to be looking at several on a particular theme. And it was kind of as I was dividing this uh, up and looking, picking which ones I, I wanted to focus on, I found uh, that uh, there were so many... <laughs> That, that are right on a, a particular theme. I was going to have uh, four little mini-series here. We're going to have uh, the next two are going to be on faith and, and, and a bunch of questions that Jesus asked on faith. And then we'll continue on to uh, another little mini-theme. But in, uh, uh, in looking at these, I found some, some, some interesting things uh, in, in Jesus' questions. And one of the, question, the, the things about these questions that I noticed is that most of his questions are rhetorical. Uh, Jesus has a particular thing that he's trying to get to. Um, and he uses these rhetorical questions to establish something. Now, sometimes, this, what's funny is sometimes the, the apostles didn't know the answers to a rhetorical question. That, that kind of tells you something about where they were. Uh, but, but he will uh, use a rhetorical question to establish a point. Uh, and once he gets their agreement on that, then he kind of sticks it in. You know, just kind of... Mm. And, and, and twist it just a little bit, uh, depending on who he's talking uh, with or to. Uh, and so uh, sometimes there was just something else. They could kind of grasp a, a, a rhetorical question, and they got that idea, but then we needed to stretch for, for the application over in a different area. Uh, so we're going to be looking at some of these uh, over the next two weeks, as I said, on faith. Last week we delved into the topic of who Jesus is, right? Uh, we talked about what it means to be the Messiah, uh, a question that even though they had the right answer, they didn't know what the right answer meant or didn't know what the question meant. I don't know uh, which, but, but at least they got the right answer, uh, got a good grade on the quiz. Uh, and so the next two sermons are going to kind of expound upon this idea of Messiah and, and, and what the right idea is. So we're asking question, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to uh, read verse 27 through 31. Matthew 9, 27 through 31. He says, Then Jesus departed from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, and said, Son of David, have mercy on us. When he had come to, uh, into his house, the blind men came in. And Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. So he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And the eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. When they departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. And so, so we're just beginning with a, with a very simple question. Do you believe? Uh, and we've... Read this so quickly, and it's 
I, I think it's such a, a common story. Sometimes the common stories that we, we know almost verbatim, uh, we kind of miss some of the truths from them. Uh, and he asks them not just, uh, do you believe? Not, do you believe in me? Or He asks them a specific question, and it has to do with his ability. Do you believe I am able? The, the Bible, a number of times, goes through and it says, God confirms his ability to do this. Uh, he d- does this with Daniel, his ability uh, to rescue. And God is able, and, and, and so many times uh, he, he asks this, but if you think about this particular situation, we just kind of breeze past this. Why would God challenge these particular people on whether they believed he was able? And think about their position. How do they have understanding or have the confidence in Jesus' ability? How could they have confidence? Someone who's seen miracles, obviously. These men have never seen a miracle. Well, welcome to the club. I've never seen a miracle. We we are so envious of people in the times past who, who have walked with Jesus and saw so many things, but there were people who walked with Jesus and never saw miracles. These men never saw a miracle. Now, they heard stories about miracles, and and guess what? So have I. I've heard stories of miracles right in here, but I've never seen one. And that was these men. They've heard other people talk about it. And and if you think about things that we go through life, and and some people want to share their story. When they tell us their story, do we believe them? And it's like, well, yeah, but that happened to you. That's all that these men have. These men only have other accounts. Or maybe they were listening, and I guess it sounds like something's happening. But these men and our eyes are so important to us. We believe what our eyes tell us. Sometimes that gets us in a, in a, a, a bit of a problem. We sometimes don't view something accurately, and, and, but we saw it. And we're pretty sure we saw it a particular way. Uh, and, and we rely on those eyes. But these men really don't have the ability to have confidence. Not naturally. Um, And so it's an interesting position that they are in. And and this question of Jesus goes to that particular position. Do you believe I'm able? Even though you've never seen me. They have to grope around to get into the house where he's at. They're intent on getting a miracle. Mark chapter 9. We see another limitation. Mark chapter 9. Verse 22, beginning. I'll back up a little bit. There's a a boy, just to give some background, and, and the disciples haven't been able to heal him. So verse 20 says, they brought him to him. When he saw him, he immediately, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell to the ground. He was shaking and foaming at the mouth. And so he asked the father, how long has this been happening? Now, that's not the question we're going to get to. He said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire, the water, to try to destroy him. But 
If you can do anything, have compassion on us and, and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe in all, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And there's no question here, but I want to look at a limitation. When, when Jesus is uh, asking people if they believe, there's different limitations. We saw the limitation of a man uh, or, or men that were blind, but there's a different limitation here. And I'm not sure what it is. This man says, he, but he immediately recognizes that, that his faith is probably not as, as great as it could have been. And yet God heals his son. Maybe it's because the man recognized his own limitations that God says that's a little bit better faith than a lot of people have. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's because that God doesn't have a universal standard for faith. Faith is kind of a subjective thing. And maybe those people who have given greater uh, circumstances or capabilities, God holds to a higher standard for faith. We see even in the same passage, God shows extreme amount of frustration with his disciples for their lack of faith. And yet a man who admits his lack of faith is, is able to receive a miracle. Uh, those who have access to fewer evidences, and God obviously from these two examples, are not expected to be in the same place as those who have uh, greater advantages. There are different aspects of faith, but there's one scripture that, that gives us two essentials of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, of course we know Hebrews chapter 11 as, as the, the faith chapter. It goes a hall of fame, right? It goes through all of these people, and then it gets to chapter 12 and says, since we are surrounded by so many witnesses, right? Uh, and, and, and let's go on to perfection. Because all of these people, all these great heroes of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, however, uh, has a very important faith. It begins in verse 1 and 2 uh, with, a, with a definition, a working definition of faith. But I want to read verse 6. It says, Without faith it is impossible please, to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. These are two necessary components of faith. I'm not saying they're the only ones, but, but that's all that, that is listed here. And I want to generalize this. First of all, he talks about existence, God's existence. And I believe we're talking about just his impersonal attributes, just a, God's concept, God's nature. Right? Uh, Romans chapter 1 talks about that when it talks about his, his eternal attributes, which are clearly seen, his, his Godhead and his eternal power. Right? Just the, the elements of who he is. God exists. And I think this is the one that we kind of, when we look at um, those blind men, this is kind of what their ability, where their ability was limited. Just in the ability to see. We take it for granted. How, how many things do we talk about? Uh, look at nature and, and see the miracles of God. And, and, and God demonstrates himself through power. These men didn't even have the ability to look at nature and see God's evidence that he provides for you and me every day. Think about that. 
These men were without so much. He exists. But he also rewards. And now we move into a different character of God. We move into the, 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 what we would call the personal attributes. What, the, the way that God relates to me. He's not just something out there, but he's a rewarder. And it, God says, listen, if you don't have the right definition of me, and we, we talked about how do, who do men say that I am, and, and how are they defining me? If, if I define God incorrectly, I'm going to come to the wrong conclusions, and that, I'm going to have a faith in something that's not accurate. And that type of faith cannot please God because I'm going to come to wrong conclusions. I might define God as, a, as this overbearing tyrant who's just willing to zap me at a moment's notice. That's not who I am. I need you to have the accurate portrayal of me. Now, this is not like, it's not saying that God is Santa Claus God. But he has a personal character that wants to relate. He wants to reward those who diligently seek him. Not, not just hand out Toys to all the girls and boys. And I think maybe this, is, this general area is where the second man had problems. Here he is, he's up in, up in Galilee, removed from Jerusalem, removed from, from all of the, the learning. And even, even in their culture, God has been so misdefined. Lord, I, I understand some of the things I see. I, I'm aware of things. This is why I'm kind of asking you. But it's difficult. And I, and I think one of the things that we struggle with, maybe not even definitions of God, but sometimes we think that... I'm going to say this, and, and you're going to say, yes, that's accurate. We're not worth it. Now, I'm not equal to God, obviously. And to, I don't merit God's goodness. But I, we have this nature that's so, in so many of our songs even that, that we sing. And this idea of, of we're just horrible people. And why would God ever do good things for me? And maybe this is where his faith is lacking. I don't know, but it seems to be that this, this father of this child has a... Has a connection to God. He's got an understanding, an intellectual understanding of what Christ can do, but there's a personal disconnect in his faith. You want to believe, but you just have a difficulty doing it at this point in time. Whatever, whatever the reason is, we can psychoanalyze this guy and we have not enough data to do so. I know that we struggle with things here in this time. And, and there's so much in, in, in religious culture. A lot of songs focus on our sinfulness. Talk about how much sinners we are. And, and, and we remove God's grace from the picture. And God does not look at us as horrible, worthless scum. That's not his picture of his children. I'm not saying that he likes it when we sin, but that's not his picture of us. And so we start to change the picture of God. We have to have the accurate 
portrayal of God if we're going to please Him. God doesn't want to be thought of as a tyrant. It does not make Him happy when His children approach Him that way. I want to talk about some problems that we encounter in, in our faith. Mark chapter 4. And look at a couple that almost seem opposite. Mark chapter 4. They're not really. Mark chapter 4, verse 36, beginning. He says, Now when they had left the multitude, um, I've got it right in the middle of my, my verse here is where my page turns. Uh, when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat, just as he was, and the other little boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was filling, and he was with the, in the stern, asleep, on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teach, don't you care that we're perishing? And he rose, rebuked the wind, and the, said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to him, Why were you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? You know, Jesus does kind of have a track record. He's a little bit upset about that. I have a track record by now. You've been with me in Galilee. You've seen me doing all these things. I'm healing people. I've been raising people from the dead. You would think that would make an impression on you. And, uh, and do you still have no faith? You still have no faith. In other words, I've been doing this for a while. Now, I don't know exactly how long it was, but he's been doing this for enough time that he expects that, okay, maybe the first time you, you, would, you would doubt. I have power over life and death and over disease. What's water? Do you still doubt me? What is it going to take for you? This is his conversation. Okay, so you have a little doubt, but what is it going to take for you not to lose it completely? They're panicking. Don't, think about what, don't you care that we're perishing? This guy's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Thanks for caring about me. <laughs> Master, get up and save us. You still don't believe. Do you, you think I'm going to let myself die? You're in the boat with me. There's no safer place on the, in the universe than right here in this boat. In the middle of this storm, you can, you can have no safer place in the universe than right here. And, and that's, I think, a lot, of, a lot of times we're so worried about the storm and all the things going on around us and, and what in the world is going to happen after Tuesday. We are in the ship where there is no greater place and no safer place than we can be than in a ship with Jesus in the middle of the storm. Do you believe? John chapter 16. Again, this is going to almost seem uh, opposite, but, but it's really the same criticism. Verse 28. I came forth 
from the Father, and I've come into the world, and again I leave the world and go to the Father. And his disciples said to him, Well, now you're speaking plainly, and you're using no figures of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus said to him, Oh, so now you believe. Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come. You will be scattered each to his own and will not leave me alone. And you will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Uh, it almost seems like these, these two are opposite. When I say that, he's like, the first one, he's like, Oh, you don't believe yet. And then now he's saying, Oh, so now you finally believe. It almost sounds opposite, but it's really the same criticism um, or the same accusation, I guess. The first one, they're showing a refusal to accept his power. And the second one shows their delay in accepting his teaching. Uh, remember that throughout his teaching, it, we have all these references that, that Jesus would teach them uh, in parables. Uh, and it was kind of like a, their own little club. And he taught them and he told them and explained to them. Um, and, and it was like, oh, and what, what a nice little exclusive thing. But then he says, I can, and I'm trying to put myself in the disciples' shoes here. He makes this transition, and even at the, the beginning of this section, it, it mentions he stopped teaching them in parables, and he, he starts using plain speech. And they noticed it right away. They go, oh, that's different. And they think, hey, we're moving into a different phase of our discipleship now. This is different. We must have graduated and we're now, we're like seniors or something. You know, we're in the senior class. We're, we're getting ready to graduate pretty soon. Well, they are. They're going to be doing their internship pretty soon. Right? This is the, the next phase. But, but I think they're trying to live up to that. And I, I think their, their statements are well-intentioned. I think they're trying to live up to this. Now we believe. Now we believe. Oh, you didn't believe all the... Now you believe that the stuff I said is from God. Well, thank you very much. Where have you been for three and a half years? You've watched me uh, talk with these Pharisees and scholars and just leave them speechless. Now you believe. Congratulations. And I, I don't think they meant it like that, but, but that's how it comes across, I think, to Jesus. Nice gesture. Wrong on two points. One, you're not ready. You're going to prove that here very, very, very shortly. You're not ready. You haven't handled it, and you don't believe yet. And secondly, I've given you plenty of evidence that you should believe in the things that I say and have confidence in the things that I say. And we have a problem. The last problem we're going to look at is the problem of doubt. Luke chapter 24 Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> In verse 38. Oh, let's back up to verse 36. As they, they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. They were terrified. Frightened, supposed they had seen a spirit. 
And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, it's me. Handle me. See, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I do. So now, this is post-test. They're kind of still in the not sure part of things. The still in the doubt part of things. Why do you doubt? But I like, I like this, what he says. Why do doubts arise? Why do doubts arise? Our heart wrestles with competing thoughts. And notice, that's where doubts arise. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? We often think of doubts in a mind. Doubts don't arise in a mind, really. Doubts arise in a heart. It's the, I'm not quite so confident. Have you ever had, I know this, but I don't have confidence in it? Doubts arise in my heart. You get on an airplane, and it's like, I know, I know, lift and thrust, and you can explain all that to me, but it's still a, I don't know how many ton hunk of steel, and it's supposed to stay up there until they want it to come down, and I'm not sure how that happens. Mike can explain it to me all he wants. I don't understand it. Doubts arise in my heart. I'm just, I'm getting on, and I'm just having confidence that we're going to get there. Doubts arise. We're constantly trying to sort through information. There's the factual things, the things we observe, the things that we're taught that I know stuff. But there's other information, and it's subjective information. It's important information, but it's subjective. How will this affect me? That's information. What are the implications of this? All this stuff. Hmm, I've got to think now. And this is where the doubts, where, where the mechanics go together. This is where the doubts come in and where doubts start to arise. Ah, what I, and that subjective information says what you know might not be actually true because of this subjective thing. And so doubts arise. They weren't there at the beginning, but they arose. I've encountered some new information. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hands and Grabbed him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And I got in the boat, wind stopped, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. We know this story. I want to stop before we look at this story and correct something that I've heard. Some people get it, and some people repeat it. We're going to just correct it. We hear so much, and some Bibles even translate it incorrectly. If you have faith, what? The size of a mustard seed. It's not in there. Go back. 
get out your Greek lexicon and look at it. It never, ever, ever, ever says faith the size of a mustard seed. It says if you have faith as a mustard seed. As is an adverb, it's not an adjective. As relates to the active qualities of something. It's not related to like. Like and as are two different words. He didn't say if you have faith like a mustard seed. He said because you can't have like, you can have as. I know, it's, I, don't, I don't want to be grammar police. Right? I didn't do great in grammar. I know this. I learned more about grammar when I learned Russian, because you have to know grammar to learn Russian. <laughs> so this is where I, I didn't learn my grammar. I learned my English grammar when I studied a foreign language. Right? I didn't learn it in 12th grade or 9th grade or whatever. When he says as, he's not comparing to a visible quality. He's, he's comparing to the way something behaves. Faith as a mustard seed has nothing to do with the size of a mustard seed. It has to do with the quality. And in the, the Bible even explains it. He says, because when it has grown, it is bigger than all of the herbs of the field. The as is how it grows. That it doesn't stay small. Now, here's why I know that that is true. Go look in all the times Jesus ever used the phrase little faith and you'll not find one compliment. You won't find a single compliment. Congratulations, you had little faith like a mustard seed. You won't find it. Why do you have such little faith? Now let's get back to the story with that in mind. Now I'm not sure that this is a rhetorical question, by the way. Does it seem strange to you? Have you ever read this and seem strange that Jesus doesn't rip on the other 11? Like, Jesus, what about those 11? Maybe he's got a separate lesson that he taught them and and it's not recorded for us. That's possible. Peter stepped out of the boat. I want you to think about this for just a moment. I don't know how many steps that Peter took. Peter stepped out of a boat and did what no ordinary non-God human being ever did to this point in the existence of humanity. We've all tried it. We've all been at the pool. And tried to see how far we could get before we sunk. We've all done that. Right? Not too far. Peter did it. That's impressive. And we go, Peter gets a bad shake out of this. Like, why did Peter get ripped on? Seems like he should have been talking to those other 11 who didn't even try it. Because I don't think this is a rhetorical question necessarily. Well, we first know the problem, doubts arose. Peter got out of the boat in one condition, and, and a second later started looking around and going, what am I doing? I'm not supposed to be able to do this. Okay, well, then you can't. <laughs> we put so much limitations on ourselves. I can't do this. No, then you can't. Correct. You never could do that, Peter. 
and yet you did it anyway. You know, when we remove the limitations from this stuff, it's amazing how many things you can accomplish. But I think this question is Jesus trying to problem solve with Peter. Between the point at which you got out of the boat, Peter, and where you were sinking, something happened. Where was that, Peter? Where was it? Why did you doubt? What was it that caused you to doubt? I think that's the conversation that he's having. I don't think he's ripping. He's not having this conversation with the other 11 because there was no problem solving to do. They never got out of the boat. He's problem solving with Peter because Peter showed something and then something changed. At some point, Peter, you stopped looking at me and you started looking at all the things going around you, Peter. That's what happened. All the waves, all the wind, all the noise, the lightning, whatever's going on, something there caused you to doubt the one thing that you knew. The one thing you were looking at when you got out of the boat, Peter, was me. And when you did that, you accomplished. And when you didn't do that, you failed. That's where it was. So I want to wrap up here. Whether you are an apostle, or a blind man, or just a father, some unknown, unnamed father, Faith is determined by the end, not by the beginning. You can start out incredible. We all know stories of friends, family, that started out passionate. I knew a kid, his name was Chris. He was, he came from, he was a a Satan worshiper. (laughs) He had to change the name of his cat because his cat's name was Lucifer. He's like, I can't have a, be a Christian and have a cat named Lucifer. Right? And uh, came, uh, he be, within a year and a half, he was like the youth group leader. He was on fire. He left the church maybe two years later. Came back, went to Bible college. Out in Nebraska, or no, Colorado, and um, was doing good. We were in the same church in Vermont, and all of a sudden he's getting a divorce. I was like, I said, Chris, I said, you're one of the few people that have come back once. You know the statistical likelihood of coming back twice from what you're about to do? We all know those stories. Faith is judged by the end, not by the beginning. And Peter's faith was going the wrong direction. And so he was of little faith. It didn't make a difference how he started. And, and, yet, and yet these others who are, uh, had such limitations and even admitted their limitations... Ended up successful. Why? Because they were going the right direction. Theirs was growing like a mustard seed. 
It was going positively, and God recognized that, and he rewards them accordingly. So as we do every week, we end with some challenges. And go back to Hebrews 11.1. 1. And, and look at where our faith is, and, and what are the issues and the challenges in our faith. Is your faith in the intellectual area? Is it just... I don't know. There's information that I'm lacking. That's not hard. That is not hard to solve at all. I, I read some of this stuff and I don't understand it. That's not hard at all. There's people with lifetime experience in the Word. We have midweek service. We have all sorts of avenues. Emails and texts. And we, we have more technology than you can throw at information now. There's, there's so That is not an obstacle. And I know, both personally and I can vouch for anybody, that that's available. Questions are not treated as something small. They're handled. To know God exists... That's easy. It's easy to address. Or do you feel it more in the personal connection side of things? Okay, I know this, but <laughs> it's, not, it's not here. We have that. We go through cycles where like, uh, I don't feel it. If the personal connection doesn't match what you know or what you've always known, See question one. All those people are available. The church exists to help that. That's why we have this ship. That's why the ship is here. It's why there's more than just Jesus in the boat. Maybe you've learned facts, but don't know where to start. Make it personal. That's why, that's why God structured us like this. I'm going to close.